evening. We love the Sunday evening service around here, and I certainly am thankful for what the Lord does here. As a, uh, as a preacher, um, I don't suppose I have a service that I like to preach in more than Sunday night, and there's just something about it, uh, and I uh, certainly am thankful for uh, the opportunities that the Lord uh, gives us uh, to, to meet together and, uh, and to be together. I want you to be praying for many of our, of our families in our church. Uh, this, of course, is back to school time, and uh, I'm thinking primarily and specifically uh, of our college families, those that have young people uh, that are in college, some that uh, are heading off uh, for you know, sophomore, junior, senior years, uh, some that are heading off for freshman year. And uh, I suppose, in some respects, maybe it never gets uh, any easier. Uh, always a challenge to uh, say goodbye to your children for a period of time. Uh, but uh, we certainly will be praying for our young people. Several of them have already returned. And uh, I know, uh, I think probably the greatest bulk of our students uh, that graduate around here, a lot of them end up at Pensacola Christian College, and they, it seems like they go back a little bit later than the other schools, and so many of them are on, are, are on their way or will be this week. And so we certainly want to be praying uh, for these families. We had an incident this morning in the service regarding uh, Mrs. Libby Harris, and um, it was as we had, we had stood to sing the uh, very first uh, couple of uh, congregational songs, and she had just a little situation where she, I think she got lightheaded and uh, kind of collapsed into the pew behind her. And, uh, and again, I, just, I mentioned this morning, just so thankful for a team of folks that are, are keen to be aware of those things and just kind of rush right to the side of, of, of those individuals and, uh, and get them out of the service and get them into a place where uh, we can help them a little bit, a little bit more. And uh, her daughter uh, did come and, and took her to uh, the emergency room and spent the greater part of the uh, day into the late afternoon there at the emergency room. As far as I know, um, there was really nothing there um, that was really super alarming. And so, again, it might have just been, you know, just a situation, you know, sometimes you stand up real quick and get lightheaded or whatever. Might have been maybe what she had to eat this morning. Uh, but uh, certainly want you to be, uh, just keep her in your prayers as she uh, bounces back from whatever it was that that ended up being. But again, we're thankful that it doesn't seem to be anything uh, too serious or too severe. And then I also want to let uh, Brother Tom mention this at the end of the service, but we do have a deacon's meeting this Saturday. So those of you that serve in that capacity, uh, we would encourage you to be part of that meeting. We'll meet in room 201 uh, there in the, uh, on the second floor, uh, on the far end here of this building, and that meeting will start at 8.30 a.m. And so again, uh, those of you that serve in that uh, role, if you would be uh, so kind as uh, to, to be there for that meeting, as we'll cover some things. We're in Proverbs chapter number 13 tonight, Proverbs chapter uh, number 13 this evening. And uh, we, of course, are, are journeying through this book together on Sunday nights. And uh, the, the, the series, we've entitled it, Common Sense for a Confused World. And uh, I suppose that every day, we began this series back in, in late, uh, late 2021, and uh, here we are, and we're in 2022, and you'd think, you know, the, the, the progress, right? We're making progress, and you would think we're less confused today than we were back then. But you would be wrong. You would be dead wrong. Uh, in fact, with every passing day, the confusion uh, in our world gets more and more severe. And, uh, and so we're going to keep right on plowing through this particular book. Uh, it's been a help to me. I hope it's been a help to you. And uh, tonight we're going to, uh, again, just do what we've done. We're going to pick out four verses here and look at four truths. Um, so many, so many different things that we could, uh, that we could highlight Every verse, in many respects, uh, is, is, a, you know, is a standalone message in and of itself. But for the sake of time, we're going to do what we've done here the last several, uh, last several weeks together. So look with me, if you would, Proverbs 13 and verse number 1. Proverbs 13 and verse number 1. And we'll read down through verse uh, number 10. The Bible says, A wise son heareth 
his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. A man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the transgressors shall eat violence. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. A righteous man hateth lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. Righteousness keepeth him that is upright in the way, but wickedness overthroweth the sinner. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. The ransom of a man's life are his riches, but the poor heareth not rebuke. The light of the righteous rejoiceth, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. And then verse number 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. I've entitled uh, the message tonight, Truth to Live By. Truth to Live By. In this chapter, of course, Solomon continues this theme that we have seen over the last several chapters. Uh, really, it's a, it's a trend in some respects where he serves up comparisons or we might say contrasts. A contrast, of course, is, is examining two things of a like kind and discovering as we, as we, as we compare them which one is superior. And because in life there's usually really two choices in most matters, there's the right choice and the wrong choice, Solomon shows his son how righteous living is superior to unrighteous living. And you need to hear that message in church because you're not going to hear that in the world. Uh, you, you, you will not hear that, 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 that theme or that idea in the world, that righteous living and, and disciplining oneself and living by the principles and the laws and the commandments of the Bible, that that is a superior way to live than, than living out in the world and, and doing anything that just you know, pleases the flesh. Um, you, you will not hear that theme in the world, but you need to hear it because it is true. Each verse in this portion of Proverbs is usually a self-contained thought. In other words, we're used to the Bible in, you know, Paul's writing in which, you know, you have, you know, maybe a whole book or at the very least a whole chapter, uh, several paragraphs in which, you know, it is one verse after another in which he is dealing with and building a foundation and expounding upon a specific spiritual truth. But in this, in this portion of the word of God, Solomon is, uh, is, is, is writing every verse seems to be a self-contained thought. Uh, his, and, and I'll be honest with you, his writing is somewhat scattered. Uh, he could be in one verse talking about finances. Uh, in the next, he's talking about pride. In the next verse, he's talking about moral purity. And, you know, it just goes from, from one place to another. We, we don't know how he wrote this. We, we don't know if he, you know, as a thought struck him and he would just, you know, run over to where he was, you know, keeping his, his writing utensils and write down that thought and, uh, and, and then serve it up to his son at some point, or if he would sit down and, and, and write a, uh, a bunch of these at one time as he observed life and he thought about life. But that really is sort of how the, how the, the theme goes at this point in time. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes find myself wishing and longing for him to expound on some of these maybe more than he does. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll say something and he'll jump to the very next topic and I'll sort of think to myself, man, Solomon, could you give us a little bit more here, you know? What, what, a little bit more of what you're thinking and, and, uh, and what was maybe behind that thought, you know? And, and, uh, and yet he, he, he is very, uh, again, very just moving around and, and sort of all over the page at this point in time in, in this writing. And in this chapter, of course, he spells out some very specific truths to live by if one is going to enjoy life 
and prosper. Now here's the question. Here's the question for all of us tonight. And that is this. What do you want in life? What do you want in life? Do you want to live your life by the whims and demands of your flesh, just to please yourself at every turn, to do things that are uh, satisfying to you and to your flesh? Most people are living that way. They're not living a very disciplined life. They're doing things that feel good in the moment, things that please themselves and that uh, please the flesh. They, They permit their flesh to control them and they consistently make decisions based merely on what is easiest, or what feels good. Can I tell you that that is, that is called carnal living. It's carnal, and it is the mark of the unsaved and the mark of the spiritually immature. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse number 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3, Paul writes, he says, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto were ye not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men. As you read these verses, and you'll find one statement followed by the, the word but, and, and, and then the next statement that is comparing and contrasting the two two ways that you could be living. If you find yourself in, in more of these, more often than not in these verses, you find yourself on the, on the wrong end of things. One of two things is true. Either you are not saved or you are a carnal, spiritually immature believer. I I think you have to, you have to do a self-assessment here and you have to ask yourself, okay, where do I stand in some of these matters? And here's what you understand that God calls us to a higher standard of living. And in that standard of living, his expectation for us is to study his word, know what his word teaches, and then put these into practice in our daily lives. And I, I gotta tell you, there is effort that is required here. Now, just this past week, for, for, for our children, school started. And in um, school, if you're going to get, get the most out of it, it requires some level of effort. Um, it requires, you know, putting the time in and working hard and staying disciplined and getting, you know, one's homework done and, and uh, you know, studying and, and, and maybe saying no to certain things that are more enjoyable, whether it be a, a television program that one enjoys or, you know, running around outside, riding their bike outside. You know, there's some level of effort that is required. And I just want you to know something. In the Christian life, if you're going to live it and you're going to live it successfully, some level of effort is required by God's people. Well, there's no doubt about it. There is discipline and diligence that are necessary. And can I say that on the front end of life and living, it is always harder on the front end. On the front end, I'm having to deprive myself of some things. I'm having to say no to certain things that I might enjoy or that the rest of the people around me are enjoying. I'm saying no to those things in the moment. And and here's why. Because after the work has been put in, there is going to be reward and blessing. In other words, the, the discipline life, the Christian life, is saying, is saying no to some things right now with the understanding that if I, if I discipline myself and I, uh, and I follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, at some point, I, I'm not sure exactly how far, how far down the road, but at some point, it's going to be a blessing to me. Living this kind of life, not living according to the whims of my flesh. 
Uh, I'm thinking to myself, you know, we live in a world in which, you know, in the realm of morality, many, many people are living in a way that just pleases the flesh, and they're giving, they're giving no thought to what God's law is, and a believer says, you know, I know what the world's doing, but I want to do things God's way, and it, and it might mean saying no to some things here, here, here right now so that God can bless in some way later down the line. There's reward and there's blessing there. On the other hand, those who live carnally, they do just the opposite. They enjoy life on the front end, and they do everything that looks appealing or looks pleasing to them. It's sort of, it's sort of like going to a, um, going to a buffet restaurant. Now, I, 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 there's not as many of those as, as there used to be. It doesn't seem like, and that's probably a good thing, right? It's probably a very good thing. Recently, we were with the Young and Hearts on, a, on their trip, and one of the reasons why I like the Young and Hearts so much is every meal is a buffet. I mean, <laughs> you just can't go wrong there, you know? And, and, uh, and so we, we had landed in the, in the place, and uh, the first place that Brother Jack took the, the, the crew to, I think, I think, I, I can't prove this, but I think it's the world's largest buffet. It's a place called Shady Maple Smorgasbord. And it is everything that you would think. I mean, it is, it is heaven under a roof, you know, here on this earth. And, and, uh, and the night that we went, the night that we went was steak night. Steak night. Now, I think the next night was seafood night. And some of you would really love that. I'm not a seafood eater. I do not enjoy seafood. My wife does, and she probably would have enjoyed that. But for me, you know, it doesn't get any better than steak night. And literally, you, you walked up to the, to the place, and they had all these steaks on the grill, and, and you told them the kind you wanted, and they'd plop it there on your plate. And, and, um, and I just have to tell you, I just have to tell you that I, 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 I went through that thing with reckless abandon. And, and I just... You know, man, that looks good, and that looks good, and got to save some room for dessert, you know. And, and in the moment, it was amazing. In the moment, it was amazing. But after that moment, I felt miserable. Why, why, did, I, why did I do that to myself? Why, why did I, uh, why did I uh, you know, why did I eat in such an uncontrolled, undisciplined way? I think some of you, you understand what, what, we're, what we're talking about here. And if, and if we could start to think, if we could start to think about life that way, then in many respects, listen, life is a buffet of choices. It really is. I mean, you, 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 some, some, some of you are young adults in here, and you're just now getting your first taste of, of sort of being able to walk up and sort of choose what it is that you want to choose. You, 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 you know, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's relationships or whether it's church attendance or whether it's in your finances or where you're going to live or what your career is going to be in life. I mean, it's suddenly somebody has basically said, here, there you go. There's all the choices and hope you make the right one. And if you're not careful, if you're not disciplined, if you're not disciplined, you're going you're gonna to make a lot of foolish choices and it's going to feel good in the moment. And you're going to think this is life and this is living. And later on, later on, you're going to regret some of those choices and some of those decisions. And that's not just true for our young adults. It's true for our teenagers. It's true for our single, it's true for our married adults. It's true for our senior adults. All of us, all of us have to understand that, that if we're going to live a life that is, that is in line with Scripture, we're probably going to have to say no to some things that the rest of the world is indulging in and understand that, that in the moment I'm denying myself, but the day is coming in which I'm going to be thankful that I did, as opposed to living the other way. Now Solomon, 
Solomon writes in Proverbs 13, 15, he says this, the very chapter that we're in, he says, the way of the transgressors is hard. Oh, that's so true. The way of the transgressors. That means the, the way of those who consistently, day after day after day, just live according to the whims of their flesh. They just do whatever feels good, whatever pleases them. They disregard this book and they disregard their relationship with God. Those people who live that way consistently, day after day, week after week, month after month. You know what he says? He says that type of lifestyle is hard. Hard. It's not easy. It looks good. That, look, that looks like living. That looks to be enjoyable. That looks to be thrilling. That looks where like all the excitement is. But God says, God says, listen, trust me on this. Understand what I'm teaching. Understand that I know what I'm talking about. And you live that way long enough and you will regret it because the way of the transgressors is hard. So really the choice is up to us. And we have a choice to make. We can sit up and take notice of God's instructions and warnings of the truths that God gives in Scripture, or we can live life according to the dictates of our own flesh. Now tonight, I want to point out four, uh, four specific truths that Solomon gives in this chapter that I believe, that I believe are good and, and wholesome and, and, and great truths for life and for living. Those who practice these things will discover blessing and prosperity. Those who ignore these will regret it, and they'll discover hardness in life and in living. So let me, just, let me just call them out. Four of them, I'll say a few things about each, and then we'll be done tonight. Number one, first truth, good, good truth to live by. Good truth to live by. Number one is this, be a good listener. Be a good listener. Look in verse number one. A wise son heareth, heareth his father's instruction but a scorner heareth not rebuke. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse one, number 1, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. James 1.19 puts it this way, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, Slow to wrath. In other words, he's saying, if you're going to be in a hurry to do anything, be in a hurry to listen. Be a good listener. Now, understand this, that if you're going to be a good listener, I think it's important, first of all, that you be discerning about who it is that you listen to. You must be discerning about who it is that you listen to. Solomon writes that a wise son Here's a specific person's rebuke. Whose rebuke is he listening to here in verse number one? He's hearing his father's rebuke. Now, now why is it? Why is it? Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it that we have such a hard time listening to the people we should be listening to? Have you ever noticed that? I'm thinking to myself, if I, had, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard a parent say about their children, well, they won't listen to me, I'd be a wealthy person. I mean, honestly. I've had, I've had parents that, 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 that have sat down and they've talked and they said, you know, well, you know, I, we know what our, our son or our daughter needs to do, but, but it's got to come from somebody else because they won't listen to us. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, what a, what a, what a foolish child who has a mom and dad who know God's word and, and who, are, who are communicating or speaking God's word into the life of their child, and yet that child 
is doing what the end of the verse says. He is not hearing the rebuke. He is not willing to listen to what mom and dad are saying to him. Now, now listen, your parents, your parents likely love you more than anyone. I'm on a planet Earth. They like you, likely love you more than anyone. Um, they gave you life. They have known you from the beginning of your existence. And as a result, because they've been with you from the very beginning, they've lived with you, they've observed your life, they've seen weaknesses and strengths, they've seen tendencies and all of these sorts of things. When they speak and they say something to you as a, as a, as a, as a child, and that could be at any stage in life, you, you might, I'm, I'm 43 years old and I still, I still perk up when my parents have something to say to me. So this is not just for young children or teenagers. At any stage in life when your parents speak into your life, boy, you ought to sit up and you ought to take notice. You ought to listen to what it is that they're trying to say. Now, I, I would want to listen. Here's what I, these are the type of people I want to listen to. I want to listen to people who are older than me. I want to listen to people who are older than me. I've, I've noticed a trend. Pastors my age... And I and sometimes I'll observe, you know, their staff, and 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 I'll notice, I'll notice that the pastor is is there, and he's my age, he's forty, maybe even late thirties, and everybody on his staff is younger than him. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, that makes me a little nervous, a little bit nervous. We have, um, I hope I don't embarrass these guys. We have two older guys on our staff. Well, we have more than that, but I'm talking about the pastoral team, uh, brother brother Jack and, and brother Bruce. And um, I got to tell you, I, I find such value in those men. I mean that sincerely. I, 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 want, I want to hear what they have to say. I want to know what they're thinking. Uh, there, there's, there's something about the fact that, that, that they've lived a little, well, I'll be frank, they've lived a lot longer than I've lived. I love you guys, all right? They've lived a lot longer than I've lived, and as a result, they have seen some things, and they have, have watched some things, and so, and so I, I want to listen. I want to listen to people that are older than me. I want to listen to people who have accomplished more than I've accomplished. I've been a pastor for just a little over three years. I'm going to talk about a pastor, the lead pastor in a church. Before that, I was a youth pastor, an assistant pastor, a co-pastor. But I mean, as, as a pastor, I've just three years. So, so when, when, a, when another pastor comes this way, Boy, I'm, I'm picking their brain. What do you think about this? And what, how did you handle that? And, and uh, I'm, I'm wanting to hear from those that have accomplished more than I've accomplished. I guess what I'm saying is this. Don't get marriage advice from someone who's never been married. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you what they think. And I'm sitting here going, what do you know about it? You've never been married? What are you going to tell me? Don't get married. I, I don't mean to be offensive, but don't get marriage advice from someone who has failed marriages in their background other than maybe what not to do. I mean, honestly, I, I want to sit down. Uh, brother, brother Kevin Drake told me tonight, Friday, he and his wife celebrate 50 years of marriage. You know what? I can learn from somebody like that. I can learn from somebody like that. And this church is full of couples that 50, 60, uh, going on 70 years of marriage to one another. Those are the kind of people that you ought to, as a, as, a, as a young person, a young married person, you run into problems, you run into issues. Man, I am running to those types of people, and I'm saying, hey, speak into my life. And yet, we're getting, we're getting marriage advice from Hollywood. I mean, there's hardly a couple in Hollywood that's lasted longer than five years. And you want, you want them to tell you what real love is all about and what it looks like? 
and, 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 and how to go and what real romance is. Man, forget that stuff. Go to, go to people who have lived it in their lives and get advice and counsel from them. I, I wanna, I, I, I'd say this, don't get, don't get career advice from someone who's bounced around in their career. I mean, they've been here, they've been there and can't hold a job down and, and uh, you know, they're all, they're all over the place. Don't get parenting advice from someone whose children are a mess. I'm just simply saying one would do well to, to pair this verse with verse number 20. Look what it says in verse number 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So, so here's what he's saying. Be discerning about who it is that you listen to. Now, you don't have to be rude. Or unkind, somebody comes to give you advice and you don't have to, you know, talk to the hand, you know, do that kind of stuff. No, you can just, you know, listen to what they have to say and move on, but don't take what they're saying to heart. And you, you, you choose, you choose who it is that you're going to listen to, but you better be discerning. You better be discerning. You need to be a wise son who can hear his father's rebuke. Number two, let me say this about being a good listener. Not only be discerning about who you listen to, but number two, after using discernment regarding who you will listen to, hear everything they have to say. I, I, I might need to say that again because it's a mouthful. I've, I've, I've made the decision, okay, this person's gonna, I'm gonna allow this person to speak into my life. I've made that decision in a discerning way. I've, I've examined their life. I've examined their marriage. I've examined their children. I've examined their career and their, you know, as best as I can, their finances and, and where they're going in life. I've, I've observed their faithfulness. Okay, I'm gonna listen to this person. Okay, once you've made that decision, then you better, listen, you better be ready to hear everything that they have to say into your life. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't just listen to the positive. Listen to the negative too. In other words, he, he's saying here, a wise son will hear his father's praise. That's not a wise son. Any son will listen to their father praise them. No, here's what a wise son does. He hears his father's rebuke. And, and that means he takes it to heart. You know, that stings a little bit, doesn't it? And I do not like to be criticized. I, I, it just, you know, it's no fun. It's not enjoyable. And I just be honest with you, when I'm criticized in the moment, in the moment, I want to lash out. You know, I want to do one of these numbers that I did when I was like in third grade. I know you are, but what am I, you know? And I mean, honestly, I, I, I want to, I, I just want to give it right back to them. We don't like, we don't, we do not like criticism, do we? We do not like rebukes. Listen, understand that your flesh does not enjoy that. You just have to understand that. Many times we're all ears when someone is speaking about us in a glowing manner, but here's what we do. We shut that person off when they must address an area of our lives that is out of order. I mean, we're, we're, we're here for it. As long as they're praising us, as long as they're celebrating us and congratulating us, you're the best this and you're the best that. But when they have to sit us down and they have to say, you know, I need to, I need to speak into an area of your life, you know, this might be a little bit hard to hear. And in, in that moment, here's what we do. We tune them out. We won't listen to what they have to say. And I'm just simply saying, listen, if you're going to be a good listener, you're going to have to listen to everything that is said. Sometimes a father praises, but sometimes he has to rebuke as well. A wise son is a good listener, and he is there for all of it. The Bible gives us a great example of some sons who refuse to listen to their dad's reproof. It's found in the book of 1 Samuel. And I want you to hold your place in Proverbs 13 and go with me to 1 Samuel chapter number 2 very quickly. 1 Samuel chapter number 2. And I want you to look at verse number 12. Here in this text, we're introduced to the sons of Eli. 
Their names are given to us. They are Hophni and Phinehas. And look what the Bible says about Hophni and Phinehas in verse number 12. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. That means they're sons of evil. They're sons of the devil. The Bible says they knew not the Lord. If you were to study this text, you would find that these men made a mockery of everything that was sacred and everything that was wholesome and everything that pertained to the worship of God in the tabernacle. And as a result, because of that, because of that, listen, they turned a whole country, they turned a whole country, a whole nation uh, to, to have sort of a sour disposition towards the worship of God and the tabernacle. These men were morally unfit for the position that they held. And, and as we read a little bit further in the text, we find that their father rebuked them. Look in verse number 23. The Bible says, and he said unto them, now Eli is speaking to his boys, why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, or no, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. He goes on to say, if one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? He says, listen, your offense is not necessarily against mankind. Your offense, your sin is against God. If you're, if you're sinning against a, another man, a judge will sit down and he'll, you know, he'll work things out. But when you sin against God, who's going to stand up for you? Who's going who's to smooth things over for you? Look what the rest of the verse says. Notwithstanding, look, look what they did. They hearkened not unto the voice of their father. Why? Because the Lord would slay them. Now, based on what we find in Proverbs chapter number 13, would you say, would you say that those boys were wise or would you say that those boys were fools or scorners? It's obvious. They're fools. They're scorners. Because a wise son heareth his father's rebuke. And Eli came to rebuke these boys and they would not hear it. They refused to listen. They refused. The Lord, again, would eventually slay these boys for their sin and wickedness. How much better, how much better off would these boys have been had they simply heard and obeyed the rebuke of their father? So as you look at your life, you want, you want, a, good, you want a good truth for life and living, no matter what stage, what age you are, be a good listener. Be discerning about who you listen to. And once you've, once you've discerned who you're going to listen to, then do this. Understand that I'm going to listen to everything they have to say, whether good or whether negative. Whether positive or, 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 whether, or whether negative, I'm going to listen. Number two, here's, here's, the second, here's the second truth that we find for life and living is this. Be humble. Be humble. Look in verse number 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. The Bible says in James 4, 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I I heard about a clever salesman who closed hundreds, hundreds of sales with this line. Here's, what he, here's, here's, how he would, here's how he would lure them in. He would say this, let me show you something that several of your neighbors said you couldn't afford. <laughs> and when they heard that, well, I'm going to show them. I can afford that. I can, I can have that. Um, there is perhaps, Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin said this, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. He said, beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. 
Benjamin Franklin. I mean, just brilliance there. And he's exactly right. C.H. Spurgeon put it this way. He said this, be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. In other words, look at the totality of your life and don't be proud of anything. Don't be proud of anything. No matter where you're at, there's nothing to be proud about. Be thankful. Be grateful for the blessings of God, but understand this, listen, that those things came from God. They did not come because of you. Those things came because God has been kind and good to you. Solomon, Solomon writes that pride provokes. When you have two people and one or both are filled with pride, then what, then what comes? Then contention comes. Contention is the result. Pride causes one to always assume that they are in the right. Pride causes one to be easily offended and hurt. Pride causes brothers and friends to take up arms against one another. And Solomon calls for us to lay aside pride because it provokes wars, it provokes fighting, and it provokes contention among individuals. Instead of pride, Solomon recommends humility. Those who strive for humility discover an added bonus. Here's what they get. According to verse number 10, they get wisdom. A prideful man, here's why, because a prideful man, he cannot hear, excuse me, he cannot bear to get advice from others because he knows too much. He can't tell them anything. He's got all the answers. He's got, he's got it all figured out. It's beneath him to seek advice or counsel from someone else. And on the other hand, a, a humble man, he seeks sound advice and wisdom anywhere he can get it. And because of this, his choices are usually good and beneficial to his life and those around him. Number, number three, number three, truth for life and living is this. Avoid shortcuts. Avoid shortcuts. Look in verse number 11. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Last year, we um, took a trip as a family down to Florida, and uh, because there's six of us, um, I typically just drive on a trip like that. And, you know, airline tickets and then renting a car and all of those things, it just, it's just you know, usually beyond our budget. And so we, we drove as a family to, to Florida. And um, uh, I'll, never, I'll never forget this as long as I live. It may have been one of the worst days of my life. Um, <laughs> it's vacation, right? It's vacation. It's supposed to be wonderful. This, this day was not wonderful. Um, we, we had driven and, and uh, spent the night somewhere. The next day we're going to drive the rest of the way. And we got on the road nice at an early time, and we are rolling. And we're sailing right through um, southern Georgia, and we get into Florida. And, I mean, it's smooth sailing, and my GPS tells me to go this way. And so we went the way the GPS told us to go. And um, we got into, I think, I think maybe the worst traffic that I've ever been in in my life. And, um, and it was, it was a, it was a two-lane road. It was a two-lane little country road, and it had to have 10,000 semi-trucks on it. And we sat, and we sat, and we sat. And I'm watching. You know, I'm the type of guy where the GPS tells me what time I'm supposed to get there, and I'm sitting here saying, I'm going to beat it every time. And I am watching as that number begins to climb, and it begins to climb. And, and I'm sitting here saying, I, I, I was going to be there by 2.30 now. I mean, I think it was probably a three, three and a half hour delay in which we sat. Well, I'm, a, I'm not the most patient person in the world, and, um, and, and so I'm sitting here, and I'm going, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a shortcut out of this mess that we're in. There's got to be a better way. And so I keep refreshing my GPS, you know, and, and it's, you know, surely it's going to show me a better way out of here. There was no better way. Until, until we got to this one point, and I'm looking, I'm expanding my map, and I'm, I think I could go this way, and I think I could do this. I, I, I had to improvise a little bit, you know, and I know, I know more than Google Maps, right, and and so I'm like, I think this is it. I think this will get us out of this mess and it'll get us back on the road and we'll be back to moving, you know, 70 miles an hour again. 
And so I took the shortcut to end all shortcuts. And I got off the route that we were on. I got out of my place in line and I'm taking off down this road and man, I'm thinking, I have, I have outsmarted every other vehicle on this path. No one's figured this out but me. And, and, and in, case you, in case you didn't wonder, Florida has a lot of like weird dirt roads. I don't know if you've ever been down there. It is the weirdest thing. It is the strangest thing. I mean, it almost feels like in some places you're in a third world country. And I, got all, and, and I, I found the road I was looking for and I hung a left and I started heading down this road. It's a dirt road. And I'm thinking, this is not good. This is not good. Usually dirt roads don't lead you to, to where you're wanting to go unless it's down home, right? Or, you know, back home. And sure enough, sure enough, as soon as we turned down that road, I noticed in front of me was a gate in the middle of that road. And it must have been somebody's private property. And, and, and I thought to myself, you, now, now I'm, I'm eating crow. I've got I've to turn around. I've got to go back and I've got to hop back in line. And now I'm further behind. I'm further behind than I was before. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a disaster. Why? All because, all because I tried to find a shortcut out of the problem and out of the issue that I was in. You know what he says here? He says, avoid shortcuts. Here's what he talks about. He talks about the danger of wealth that you did not rightly earn. There is a danger to wealth that you did not rightly earn. You know, we live in a world that is not unfamiliar with examples of those who got rich overnight. Things like inheritances, lottery winners, sweepstakes, gambling, the list could go on and on. And, and, then, and, then, and then the fallout that comes as a result. Solomon warned against this long ago. He said, wealth achieved in vain. That word vain, it means by a breath or by a windfall or by a sudden stroke of fortune. He says, wealth achieved in vain is usually squandered. It is usually wasted. It is usually diminished. The whole world, the whole world is fixated on somehow becoming wealthy apart from hard work and diligence. I mean, every once in a while, the mega millions gets up into the hundreds of millions of dollars. And somebody, somebody goes and they spend their life savings buying tickets, thinking to themselves that they're going to be the lucky winner. I think they've said stuff like, you, you're, you have more of a chance of getting struck by lightning twice than you do of winning a mega millions. And, and then their, their answer will be, well, somebody's got to win it. Yeah, well, that's somebody's not going to be you, right? And even, by the way, even if it was, what does Solomon say? You got that wealth in a vain way? You didn't work for it? You didn't sacrifice for it? And chances are that wealth is going to be diminished. In other words, it's not going to be what you thought it was going to be. Here's what, here's what often happens. Those who get that type of wealth in that vain way, it normally, listen, it normally complicates life in the following ways. They don't, they don't know what to do with it. I mean, they've never had that kind of money before. I mean, I've, ne I've, never been I've never been able to just run out and buy anything that I want to buy in life. I normally have to pay attention to, you know, the, the, the amount that's in my checking account or in my savings account. Now, all of a sudden, I have hundreds of millions of dollars, and I can just do anything and buy anything. It'll never go away. And, and they don't realize that, that it, it can go away in a hurry. They don't know what to do with it. And they spend it frivolously because, listen, because it is not valuable to them. So, therefore, they spend it on silly things. Things that end up maybe even costing more money in the long run. Uh, they, uh, here, here's, here's, another, here's another way it complicates their lives. Everybody wants to be their friend. And then, and then as a result, they don't know who to trust. In other words, are you just trying to get close to me because you heard I have hundreds of millions of dollars? Or do you really care about me? 
I've spent time around wealthy people. And wealthy people, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Because wealthy people will look at me, they will look at me, and they'll, say, they'll, they'll look at me and say, I don't know who I can trust. I, I don't know who's, 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 who really is interested in me and, and who really is just coming around me because they know I have a lot of money, and maybe, maybe some of that will, 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 will fall their way. Human nature, listen, human nature is to look for the easiest way. So we do things like we take a pill that helps us to lose weight without ever changing our diet or exercise habits. In other words, we keep going to Shady Maple Smorgasbord. And we just pile up, but, but then we swallow a pill and we think it's all going to be okay. It doesn't work that way. If you're going to lose weight, you've got to stay away from the Shady Maple Smorgasbords and the McDonald's and the, and the other places. We think maybe, well, I'll take a class and that'll help me to become an instant success. Or, uh, you know, I, I'll buy a ticket that could earn me millions of dollars. And, and, and I just want to say this. If you want to live a blessed and successful life, avoid shortcuts. Because there is a danger. There is a danger surrounding money that you did not earn. But notice, secondly, he deals with the blessing of wealth gained by hard work. When one works hard for their wealth, they learn that there is increase or blessing. They value their money because they work so hard to achieve it. Because their wealth is precious to them, they aren't careless with it. They're not frivolous with it. They don't go about purchasing foolish or unnecessary things. They cherish what is theirs because they understand the blood, the sweat, and the tears behind it. At a certain point, one must learn that there are no shortcuts in life. And that labor is a valuable thing that not only enriches the person who is committed to it, but also enriches and blesses society as a whole. In other words, we get a society that's working hard and that is diligent and is laboring. Listen, the whole society is made better, including the person who gives himself to it. Now, can we not? Can we not make a spiritual connection here? Philip Yancey, well-known author, wrote these words. He said, human, human beings grow by striving Working, stretching. And in a sense, human nature needs problems more than solutions. Why are not all prayers answered magically and instantly? Why must every convert travel the same tedious path of spiritual discipline? Because persistent prayer and fasting and study and meditation are designed primarily for our sakes, not for God. Kierkegaard said that Christians reminded him of schoolboys who want to look up the answers to their math problems in the back of the book rather than work them through. We yearn for shortcuts, but shortcuts usually lead away from growth, not toward it. Apply the principle directly to Job. What was the final result of the testing he went through? As Rabbi Abraham Heschel observed, faith like Job's cannot be shaken because it is the result of having been shaken. So don't just apply this to you know, the blessing of wealth gained by hard work. Apply this to your spiritual life as well. And understand, listen, there are no shortcuts to growing spiritually. You have to do the work. You've got to spend time on your knees. You've got to spend time in your Bible. You've got to be faithful to church. You've got to overcome uh, offenses and hurts and different things that happen. Those things are part of life. There's no shortcuts around them. Just as there are no get-rich-quick schemes to success and finances, no such thing exists spiritually either. You have to work at growing in your faith. You have to work at growing in your finances. You have to work at growing in your marriage, in your relationships, in your career, with your physical body. Resist the desire to escape putting in the hard work by seeking out shortcuts. Finally, number four, verse 24, near the end of the chapter, fourth truth, and that is this, number four, chasten your children. 
chasten your children. The Bible says, he that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse number six, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God deal with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Tom Landry, well-known football coach, he said this. He said, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. Which is what? A champion. The best at their craft. You know, the, the top. But how do you get there? How do you get there? You get there because you do things. Because you, you do things. Whether you're made to do them or whether you just have it within you to push through. You, you get there because you do things that no one wants to do. Let me share with you a common misunderstanding. Well, just two more things here. A common misunderstanding. A common misunderstanding exists among men. That the rod of chastening is a form of abuse. Others fear that the rod of chastening will cause their children to resent them, so they resist this practice. Solomon writes that a parent who spares his, rod, his son from the rod, it's as if he hated his child. That's what he writes here. Adam Clark writes these words. He said, he could, he could not do him, speaking of this text, he could not do him, the parent could not do his son a greater disservice than to correct him, when his obst- than to not to correct him, I should say, when his obstinacy or disobedience requires it. Let me read that again, because I think it's good. And this is convicting. Adam Clark writes about this. Here's what what he's, he's saying, what Solomon is saying, or what God is saying. He could not do him, the father could not do his son a greater disservice than not to correct him when his obstinacy or disobedience requires it. Now let me just pause here for just a moment. Periodically, periodically around here, we have to we have to discipline. Now I'm thinking primarily, primarily the school. Because obviously you have a school, and in a school you have to have rules and that sort of thing. But you know what? It could be in the church too. And you know what I've discovered in recent days? And it's not always church family. Sometimes it's families outside of the church that are, have their kids in the school. But what I have discovered today is that when, when we go to give discipline, sometimes, listen, sometimes the things that we fear the most is what the reaction of the parents are going to be. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that phone to ring. How dare you, you know, handle my son or handle my daughter in this way? What on earth is wrong with you? Don't you understand? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you're, you're, you know what you're doing? You're, you're, you are doing your child a great disservice. Because your child and my child, my children, because I had to go through the same thing, they need to learn that no one is above the law. And that, and that when, when rules are given and, 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 and when rules are broken, then, then listen, chastening must come. And chastening does not come because we don't like those kids or because, you know, we're frustrated, we're angry. No, no, chastening comes, according to Hebrews 12, chastening becomes because we love them. And if we were to spare the chastening, then it's as if we hated your child. Now, I'm just, I'm just simply saying that, that you, can, you, can, you can help your child out a whole lot. Now, 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 listen, it may be, it may be that sometimes parents, you know, parents come and they talk to authority and they support us in front of their children, 
But maybe, maybe you know, when children are around, they want to, you know, and that's whatever, that's fine. But I'm just simply saying, listen, don't resist. Don't resist in the lives of your children, uh, disciplining them, uh, and, and, and even the discipline that others might have to give because of the, because of the problems that they're dealing with. You're, you're doing your children a great disservice. A man by the name of Reverend Holden writes the following. He says, by the neglect of early correction, the desires obtain ascendancy. The temper becomes irascible, peevish, querulous. Pride is nourished, humility destroyed. And by the habit of indulgence, the mind is incapacitated to bear with firmness and equanimity the cares and sorrows, the checks and disappointments, which flesh is heir to. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is this, listen, it's a common misunderstanding that discipline, discipline, oh, that's, that's no good, that's abusive, that's not fair, that's not right. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that God says just the opposite, that discipline is a good thing. And that when someone disciplines, they're expressing love. It doesn't feel like it in the moment. It's not enjoyable. But there is a love that is being displayed there. Notice finally here tonight, God's opinion on chastening. I mean, as with so many, as with so many other things, the view of God in Scripture is so opposite of what is commonly accepted among men. Now, of course, men are sinners and deeply flawed, but listen, we have a hard time seeing beyond our narrow way of thinking, so we believe our way is superior to God's way. And here's what God says about chastening. Here's what he says. If you don't chasten your children, it's as if you hate them. That, that's exactly what he's saying here. Now, that could sting a little bit. But that's what he's saying. If you don't discipline your children, if you don't chasten your children, it is as if you hate them. Here's what he's, saying. he's also saying. If you do it consistently, it is as if you love your children. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Now, I don't have time to get into all the different forms of discipline. And I just want to say publicly that we wholeheartedly disavow child abuse, beating children uh, with, you know, with, with, no, with, with no restraints. We think that's ridiculous. We think that's shameful. A child is made in the image of God. A child does not, does not need to be beaten. Uh, he does not need to be, you know, abused. All right? But we, but we believe, we believe in, we, we do believe in correction. We do believe in the rod. And we believe that the rod, if it's done in an effective way, and if it's done in a controlled environment, and it's, and it's done with a parent that is not in a, in a fit of anger or passion or rage, that that, cro- listen, that rod does a world, a world of good. A world of good. So don't walk out of here. Don't walk out of here and, and say, you know, well, the pastor was, you know, was saying we ought to beat our kids. Nothing is further from the truth. Nothing is further from the truth. And I think, again, as parents, God gives you wisdom and discernment to know, you know, what, what okay, this offense, what it's worth and how that all works. And then I also think that there is a transition in, in the lives of our children in which we go from, you know, the rod is no longer, the rod, there's still a rod that is used, but it's not the, it's not the traditional rod. And maybe it's a form of grounding or it's a whatever. We're, we're removing privileges and, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And you just have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and to give you wisdom. And you need to look for, again, weak spots in the lives of your children. But I'm just simply saying, I'm just simply saying, listen, you want a good truth for living? Then chasten your children. You'll, you'll be thankful you did. In the moment, listen, that's doing a hard thing in the moment. That's not enjoyable, but listen, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find later on you'll be glad you did. <laughs> later on you're going to look back and you're going to say, I'm so glad. 
in the moment. It wasn't fun. It was enjoyable. There were times in which my child was mad at me or frustrated with me or upset with me that I would do such a thing. But I'm so glad. I'm so glad I chased it. Listen, in all of these things, in all of these things, we are playing the long game. Doing the right thing or living by these truths requires us to deny the flesh and often do painful or hard things in the moment so that we can be blessed and have freedom in the long run. The vast majority of the world makes the easy decision in the moment and forgets, forgets that another day is coming, a day that will likely be filled with regret and disappointment. So here's the point. Choose to live by the truth of God's word and discover blessing and freedom. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.